If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of First Peter. We get to, does anybody else just love new stuff? Like when you get a new journal or new shoes or like today we get to start, it's, it, it's not a new book of the Bible, that'd be problematic, but uh, we get to study a new book together. And so we're jumping into what's going to really kind of take us through the fall. Uh, our fall series is going to be studying through the book of First Peter. So you can make your way there in your Bibles or on your devices. We'll also have them up on the screens. And I know some of you in the room right now are like, why are there note cards everywhere? We'll get there. Just exhale. It'll be okay. I will let you know. Um, but as, as I've been studying and, and preparing for First Peter, um, what we're going to see, and we just came out of a study of Second Timothy, where a major theme was this concept of enduring suffering, of, of that we as believers can do hard things. And really that theme is going to kind of continue on in some ways in the book of First Peter, as we're going to see Peter really shepherd and care for a handful of churches to let them know that they can follow Jesus in a fallen world that they can run after him despite the fact that culture and life is making it complicated, which made me kind of stop and pause a little bit this week and go, why do hard things happen? What's the purpose in suffering? Or what's the cause maybe in suffering? And, and I think suffering or hardship or uh, tribulation or bad times, tough times can happen to us for a handful of reasons. I think one is sometimes bad things happen. Times are tough because we are people who are wired to wander because of our own decisions that we make. Sometimes, man, we feel the reality of the fallen world and the consequences of our actions. Maybe, let me, let me give you this as an example. So I know my body does not do well with sugar. I crash so hard. If I eat like a Snickers bar, I am like a bear that needs to hibernate. Like it's bad. I shouldn't drive a car. I shouldn't try to have a conversation. I know that. I, I know that about myself. Yet, I also love cereal. Cereal is my favorite food group. It's so yummy. And so here's how I walk out this tension. As one who knows the right thing to do but is wired to wander, Every night, almost every night, most nights, at like 9 o'clock, after we get our kids in bed and the house kind of settles down, I go for night cereal. Anybody else? Is there anybody else that does night cereal? Okay, well, there's a few of us sanctified and redeemed folk that love night cereal. It's awesome. You should try it um, as I lead you into wandering. Um, because here's, here's what I do. I get my bowl of night cereal that I know is going to make my body crash. And I'm like, when I crash, I go to bed. That's how I deal. If you're into nutrition, you're like, this is horrible for you. You're killing yourself. I know, but it's so yummy, and I want to eat it every night. Um, and so I know that. And when my body crashes, so yesterday afternoon, we don't have time for this, but I'm going to tell you the story anyway. I got home from doing a handful of things, and I was like, I really want cereal. It was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I know I can't do that. That's not going to be good for me. I'm not going to get to crash and go to sleep like I do at 9.30, but I did it anyway. And then my wife went to book club, and I was supposed to be like, dad, 
and present with my kids and engaged with them. And I was like, guys, this is a TV movie. Like, I just couldn't do it because I wondered. I felt the effect of my poor decision yesterday hard for like two hours. Like, it's real bad, y'all. Like, that's why I go to bed. Um, sometimes we feel the effects of the fallen world because of choices we've made. I think other times we feel the effects of the fallen world because of external influences. Sometimes I think it's just the reality of, man, bad things happen. The world is broken. You get flat tires. Things are stressful. It's not necessarily the direct result of someone, but there are times, are there not, where you feel the impact and you have to endure suffering or go through hard times because, man, somebody is just straight up sinning against you. And I just really felt compelled. We'll get to, we'll get to 1 Peter, I promise. Um, this morning, though, with where Peter is going to take us as we study this book. And this morning, I really want to lay a foundation, hopefully, that allows us to really marvel and appreciate it. God using this guy to speak to these people in this season to encourage not just them, but us as well. Um, I just felt compelled that one of the stories of, of our city, as you see, like our heart is to bless Loveland. One of the stories of Loveland that I just, we've been in this city now 10 years, that I've come to just really grieve over, but also identify with, is that there are many in this room this morning or that call redemption home that you are here and have experienced the fallenness of our world, the brokenness of our world in the confines of the church, of what should be a safe place. You've been hurt by leadership, by people who hold my job, and you've been deeply, deeply wounded. And I just, the more and more I prayed about this this week, I just really felt compelled to one, say thank you for being courageous, if that's your story this morning, if you have experienced how hard it is to follow Jesus in a fallen world because people who should have been safe, people who should have led you closer to Jesus wounded you in some way. Like, thank you for being courageous and not giving up on Jesus or his bride by being here this morning. I also wanna like, I understand that pain. I understand how deeply, deeply painful that is. And so thank you for being courageous. But then I also just really felt, the more and more I prayed about it, especially this morning, as a pastor in this city, if you have struggled to follow Jesus because the church has hurt you, I wanna say I'm sorry for what you've gone through. That is not the heart of Jesus, and he wants to redeem that. And I think one of the things that's going to be really beautiful as we walk through this book is Peter is a story. First Peter, and Peter himself, the author of this book, is a man who has been in low places, dark moments, and the Lord uses those and redeems those and then uses guys like Peter to write and encourage us in hard moments where it's tough to follow Jesus. And so that's where we're going to go throughout this series. That's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to jump in. We're only covering two verses 
today, but don't worry, I'm not letting you out early. Um, so let's dive in. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 2. We're going to start out. Peter, we already got to stop. Like, it's already so good. Um, we'll get, I told you, you guys should have brought a cliff bar. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. So, but right off the bat, I think we have to answer the question, who is Peter? Maybe you've got this deep, rich church history, and you're like, Nate, I know everything there is to know about Peter, and I could, I could teach a class on who the apostle Peter is. Praise God, you should lead a small group. Um, but if you're newer or you're like, man, I just don't know, I think for us to truly appreciate how beautiful this book is, we have to go back and look at who is this guy that's writing this book that we have decided, let's take some time and study. And so who is Peter? We're going to look this morning at a, a sample size of Peter's life and his following Jesus in Jesus's life and ministry. And we're going to primarily do that through the book of John. Peter is a significant figure. He shows up in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, in John, in Acts. He's writing these letters. Paul talks about him. He is an incredibly influential voice in the life of the early church and in the life ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. And so early on in John chapter one, we see Peter show up in verses 40 through 42. It says, one of the two who had heard John, that's John the Baptist, speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. We get introduced to our boy, Peter. He first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him, him being Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, and now before I read this next part, you need to know this about me. This is one of my favorite parts of Peter's story. And I can't help but, so I'm gonna do something I think that's important. Bible's over here, Nate's imagination over here. Don't take this as gospel. This is just what happens in my brain when I read the Bible. I can't read these next lines without imagining the Lord of Lord and King of Kings with like a twinkle in his eye and a smile on his face who's so excited. Before he formed the earth, he, he knew this moment was about to happen. And he knows everything that he and Peter are about to go on this adventure together. And I think... Nate's opinion, Jesus is so excited for this moment. He's been waiting for this moment. And that's how I read this next line. He says, you are Simon, the son of John. I've been anticipating right now forever. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter or the rock. What we see here in this intro to who is Peter, is that Peter is a man who has been called by Jesus. He is known by Jesus. He is seen by Jesus. He is called into this adventure. Let's fast forward just a couple of chapters. In John chapter six, Jesus said to the 12, do you wanna go away as well? Now we need to unpack that just a little bit. I promise we'll get to first Peter more. Um, but Jesus has just said some really hard things to a huge crowd of people, people who were following Jesus. And really, they don't want Jesus, they just want his stuff. They want the healing, they want the miracles, they want the benefits of a relationship without the burden of obedience. And they're starting to leave and abandon Jesus. And so Jesus turns to his small group, to the 12, and said, do you wanna go away as well? 
Look at what Peter says. Peter answered saying, Lord, look at how he already knows you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. He refers to him in reverence and respect. Whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you, Jesus, are the Holy One of God. What we see in this moment is that Peter is demonstrating a commitment to Jesus. Early on, he is confessing and declaring, you are the Lord, the Holy One of God. When everybody else is leaving, I've got nowhere else to go. He is committed to Jesus early on in the ministry. But that's not where the story is going to stop. Peter's going to have high highs and low lows, camp experiences and then dark nights of the soul. In John 13, jump forward a few more chapters. Jesus is, is preparing the disciples for the fact that he's going to lay his life down. He's going to suffer and die. And Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. The same guy who, had, who has declared, you are the Holy One of God, is now declaring, I know better than you. That's what he's saying in this moment. I, I can follow you. I'll lay my life down for you. God, I know more than you do. Praise God, none of us have ever done that in our souls. We've never questioned the direction God is leaving, the suffering we're enduring, that we're so different than Peter. We're not. He, Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Again, Nate over here, I think Jesus is going, really, Peter? Really? Truly, I tell you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter, in this moment, is demonstrating that his confidence is rooted in his ability. He still is struggling in his process of following Jesus with believing that his way really is better. He thinks he knows more. His confidence is in himself. And Jesus is going to use really hard moments to break him of this. John 18, as Jesus has been arrested, and he's being wrongly accused, ultimately going to be wrongly convicted and put to death. The death you and I deserve, the death Peter deserves, Jesus goes and dies in our place for our sins. He walks out of the tomb on Easter morning. But before all that, here we see that Simon Peter is standing and warming himself. Just notice real quick, he's still following Jesus, but from a safe distance, from a place where he can make sure he's okay. He's warming himself by the fire. They, the crowd that's there, said, aren't you also one of the disciples? He denied it, saying, I'm not. Hmm, sounded like what Jesus told him he was gonna do. He said, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ears Peter had, ear Peter had cut off. That's another epic part that I wanted to talk about. We don't have time for that. Asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and look at what happens. And at once, the rooster crowed. I think this is the moment of breakthrough and heartbreak for Peter. As the word of God convicts, he is, he is revealed here in this moment to be a man who is really concerned about himself and his safety. He's worried about himself and he abandons in this moment following Jesus because of the brokenness, because he wanders and there's pressure 
from the outside. He, he experiences all of it in this moment. But praise Jesus, that's not where this Peter's story stops. Because maybe other than the empty tomb, one of the most beautiful moments in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is John 21, in my opinion. Jesus and Peter find themselves having breakfast on the beach. And after they'd finished having breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I think here he's talking about the fish. So Peter's gone back to taking care of fish and, and doing what he's good at. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him now a third time. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. Jesus gives him every opportunity back. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Look at this. It grieves Peter because he said to him the third time, do you love me? In this moment, I think Peter knows, Jesus, you know what I did. You know how far I fell and how broken my heart is that I abandoned you. And he says, Lord, you know everything. Peter, in this moment, I believe, is laid bare before the Messiah. There's no more hiding. He says, you know that I love you. This is a different type of declaration. This is a, I'm for real coming after you now, Jesus. I know the heartache of falling away, and I'm not going to do that again. He says, then feed my sheep. And then what Jesus is going to do in the, the rest of this passage and the rest of this part right here is let Peter know that there's adversity still coming. There's hardship in following Jesus, that life isn't going to get any easier. But as fact, when you're old, he says, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to let him know what kind of death. Church history would tell us Peter's going to be crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus. But again, the call here is from Jesus is, Follow me. The last thing I want us to see just about Peter is that he is a man who's deeply loved and cared for by Jesus. Jesus cares for him and he's experienced high highs and low lows. But then all of that leads us to the next part of the first sentence, which says that Peter... This man who knows what it's like to follow Jesus and knows what it's like to give into the pressures of the fallen world is writing to the church as an apostle of Jesus under the authority of Christ. An apostle is a person who is sent by another with their authority. He gets to speak with the authority of Jesus, with the confidence that he has been sent by a greater one to declare truth. And I, we don't have, we for real don't have time. I don't know what I was thinking when I went through all of this, but let me do this. Here's what makes someone an apostle. An apostle is someone who is a witness to the life and ministry of Jesus. We see this in Acts chapter 1. When they're replacing Judas, they have to find somebody who has been 
following alongside Jesus, and yet not one of the 12 or Jesus's D group, which was Peter, James, and John, somebody else that need, that was following and saw all that Jesus did, all that Jesus went through, somebody, that is, that is a requirement for being an apostle. They also needed to be called by Jesus personally. They needed to, they, they operated under the authority of God. We see this in 1 Thessalonians, that when the, the apostles wrote, they wrote with authority. They didn't have to go, Nate's standing over here, and this is the Bible. They went, no, we got this. That is an apostle. They wrote with the authority of God. We don't do that anymore. I step over here and go, my ideas, my opinions, I will de declare boldly the word of God, but I want you to know where I'm just kind of like thinking. And then they were able to perform miracles. We see this in Acts chapter two. And so what that leads us to is, is I think for us maybe more important than we realize. And because this is potentially controversial, I wanna quote people smarter than me. In uh, the Easton Bible Dictionary, they say that the apostles could have had no successors. They are the only authoritative teachers of Christian doctrine, or I think maybe a better way to think about that is they're the ones who get to give us Christian doctrine. We can teach with authority. They get to, to lay it out. The office of an apostle ceased with its first holders. This is not something that is around anymore in the same way that it was when Peter says, I am an apostle of Jesus. I come under the authority of Christ. I'm going to speak and write as one who has fallen away and been restored, been redeemed, and, and I'm going to speak with authority. But who is he writing to? Well, we're told that he's writing to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's writing a pastoral letter. As we walk through 1 Peter, it is going to be very high in shepherd and care. Peter cares a great deal for what these churches are facing. And if you looked at a map, those cities that we just read, it's kind of like the guy who's gonna be delivering the letter, Silvanus, is going to be traveling in a circle, delivering this same message to all the churches in Asia Minor, encouraging them to keep on following Jesus. Because with every opportunity, with every uh, engagement with the fallen world, whether that's whether we're wandering or external oppression, there's an opportunity for obedience. And that's going to be a huge theme that Peter really wants the churches to grab hold of. And so it's a very pastoral letter written to the churches who are struggling to obey Jesus in a fallen world. They're feeling tempted to pull back. Persecution hasn't yet hit the church to the point of people dying for their faith, but it's headed that direction. It is not easy to follow Jesus. And so Peter wants to encourage them as one who knows the hurt and heartache of falling away. He doesn't want that for the churches in Asia. And then he calls them, let's just go back, elect exiles. I read in a commentary this week, that's why it's in quotes, that, that these are God's chosen pilgrim people. I just really like that phrase. It's probably because it alliterates, but, um, but I just like that idea of one, it's God choosing, that he, is, he has elected those who he also then places in a foreign land to live 
as his chosen people. It is a, a both and. And so as we go through this letter, the tension that we're going to see all the way through is both God's role he chooses and our responsibility to then live in obedience as exiles in a foreign land or as God's pilgrim people. I say this all the time, that God has you where you live, work, shop, eat, and play on purpose, for purpose, to be a, 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 an elect exile in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood. That is your role. Peter wants the believers in the churches in Asia to see themselves as chosen by God for this season to encounter the fallen world and put obedience on display. And so what do we need to know as we're walking through this letter? Four things that we're going to continually try to pull out of the passages of 1 Peter. We, we wanna look, be, be aware of God's role, of our response, of the present suffering that the church is facing, but the future hope that Peter is going to continually try to fix their mind and hearts on. And we did this, if you were with us for 2 Timothy, we, we tried something a little bit different that we're actually going to continue on in in some way. And so let's put the passage back up. This time, I've highlighted those four things that we just really want as a pastoral team, we want to look at and say, let's be alert to these themes that are present in 1 Peter. And so you'll see the purple is God's role. The green is our response. The red is present sufferings. And then that shows up okay. We may need to find a different color for future hope that just maybe pops a little bit better. Um, but as we go through this book, we want to be aware of these things that Peter over and over and over and over again is going to be laying before the different churches in Asia Minor. And so let's walk through looking just at these first two verses for God's role as we see that throughout, even just in these first two verses, we're going to be reminded by Peter that God is the one who initiates and illuminates salvation and he is the, he, the, he is the one who is in control of both cleansing and calling us into a new relationship. Let's look back. It's Look at, again, pay attention to all the purple, all of God's role in salvation. It is Peter who is an apostle. That's something he's going to do. But he's only that because Jesus, fully God, gives him that role. He didn't pick it up on his own. He is appointed by Christ. He is elected. He's writing to the elect, those who are chosen by God. That's God's role. He is sovereign over salvation. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This language is so deep and rich and beautiful. It is so much more than just knowing what's going to happen. It is an intimate involvement. That's the picture that Peter is writing here, that God is deeply connected. In some ways, this is, this is all the way back to creation order and how Adam and Eve knew each other in the garden. God is intimately, the way a husband knows a wife, that's how God knows those whom he saved, a deep spiritual soul connection. That's the picture here, that that is God's role. 
and it is according to his, his ahead of time intimate involvement that we are saved. We are sanctified. That's going to be, you'll notice that's green. That's stuff that we can do, but it's not even all on our own. We need the Spirit of God helping us be sanctified. Sanctification is a joint effort. As we try to walk in obedience, the Spirit of God needs to show us ways that we can not look less like the world and more like Jesus. So he has a hand in our sanctification for obedience to Jesus. And then again, look at salvation here again for, for the sprinkling with his blood. God's role in salvation was to send his son to die in our place for our sin. And that sprinkling here, the, the, the language that Peter is using is very covenantal. That there's this new relationship, this new agreement that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have a new covenant with him, but it's God's role to bring about that covenant. And so God is the one who initiates and illuminates. He cleanses, he calls. What do we see as our response? Well, we need to repent, we need to observe and obey. Notice Peter is called to be an apostle, so he needs to obey that call. He needs to, to go into a foreign land, a fallen world, and live as, everybody saw that, right? Okay. It's like stroke. I don't know. Um, okay. Um, he needs to live as an apostle. He is responsible for working out that call that Jesus has put on his life. He needs to, to hear that and then walk in obedience. Also, sanctification, the process of us becoming more like Jesus and looking less like the world, that requires our obedience. That's why Peter tells us it's for obedience to Jesus. You don't just come to faith in Christ to get out of hell, but to experience heaven here and now. And the way that we do that is to start walking in obedience. I think a huge lie that we all can believe so easily is that when we start listening to the word of God, we get robbed of pleasure. This is the way to life, joy, and happiness. Obedience is the far better road. But it takes us responding to the word of God, deciding we're gonna walk out obedience to Jesus. We need to obey. We need to repent and respond. But then what about present suffering? That's gonna be a huge theme that we're gonna see over and over in 1 Peter, and we just saw some of that in 2 Timothy as well, and even just here in kind of what's customarily thought as just the greeting that you can kind of gloss over to get to the good stuff. Um, we see suffering even present here right at the start of, these are the exiles of the dispersion. Peter acknowledging that you have to live in a land that is not yours, that your kingdom focus should be on Jesus as his chosen sons and daughters, but in the meantime, you live as people who aren't home yet. You live as people who are going to struggle with culture, are going to struggle with decisions that are made, because it's like you're scattered away from where your heart really wants to be. There's going to be suffering when you live as an exile. Peter shows us that we should expect, in some ways, adversity. 
we're going to follow, follow Jesus in a fallen world, we should expect things are going to be different and feel different and hit different for us as we follow him. And then lastly, our future hope. Peter tells us even right here at the beginning that following Jesus is going to bring about a greater and growing grace and peace. Look at the way he ends this intro to the letter. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. When you follow Jesus in a fallen world, it brings about a growing grace that you just more and more appreciate what Jesus did for you. And that allows you to then extend that to others and peace with one another because you know you have been saved and rescued from much. And this is a guy who knows that deeply. And so his, his hope for them, for these churches in Asia, is that they would grow in grace and peace, that where they are isn't where it would stop, but you can be hopeful that the gospel is going to transform you and change you and grow you in both grace and peace, like an exhale for your soul. That's his heart for these churches. And so again, why are we gonna study 1 Peter? Well, this is a book written by a guy who knows the struggle of following Jesus and has felt that deep pain of abandoning what he was meant to follow after. I just wonder if anybody in this room this morning is like, man, I know I'm not living for Jesus. Like I, I'm like Peter warming myself by the fire. I'm just following from a comfortable distance. Peter knows what that feels like. And his heart is that none of us would experience that ache and emptiness of not following after Jesus, of boldly declaring, Jesus, you know that I love you. That's his heart for the churches. I believe that's his heart for us. Because he's a man who knows what it feels like to fall away, to abandon Jesus. And he's writing to a group of people who are struggling in the midst of outside pressure Anybody struggled with outside pressure as you look at the world, as you look at the political climate, the, the economic climate, you look at culture or family dynamics or work dynamics or relationships, you're just like, it, it becomes real hard to prioritize your walk with Jesus because it feels like everything else is so hard. Peter gets you. And he's got a word for us as we study this book. That we need to, to recognize God's role we need to recognize and embrace our responsibility and allow present sufferings to be opportunities for obedience because our hope is in Christ. And he really wants us to see that we need to walk in the tension of God's role. He is sovereign over all things. The, the hardships you're facing right now are opportunities for him to refine and reveal your faith, grow you in the image and likeness of Christ but also an opportunity for you to flex in worship your obedience to Jesus. Suffering is an opportunity for us to marvel at God and his plan and grow in obedience. And so we're gonna study 1 Peter so that we 
can follow Jesus in our fallen world. And so to do that, I think we've got an opportunity for obedience. And now we're finally to the note cards that maybe have been driving you crazy. So we did this for 2 Timothy. We're going to continue on. We want to be a church that stands on biblical truth. And so if you have a rich, thriving, awesome Devo time, worship time every day, I don't want to mess with that. Praise God. Again, lead a small group. But if you're like, man, I really struggle with following Jesus in, the, in my fallen world and prioritizing the word of God, I want to challenge you. As we spend the next couple of months in 1 Peter, read 1 Peter every day. Doesn't take that long. It's five chapters. Less time than it takes you to watch an episode of Parks and Rec. You could read all of 1 Peter. Don't look at me like y'all don't watch Parks and Rec. Come on, I know my church. Um, less time. You can do it. And if you can't do it, I would press you on you, you can. You're choosing to worship something else, and that stings, but that's okay. Listen to it. Redeem your workout. Redeem your commute. Redeem your time in the car or somewhere like Download a good Bible app that will read to you. version is a great one. It'll read the passages to you. Listen to it every day. Watch what God does as you prioritize his word. Read 1 Peter or listen to it every single day. And then the challenge that we want to kind of up the bar a little bit because we want to be growing in our gospel identity and our hope and purpose in who Jesus is making us into as a church is we want to challenge you to actually not just read it, but try to retain it as well. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, we're going to continually just encourage us as a church to be dwelling on, meditating, and memorizing this passage, which is going to serve as our communion passage for this morning. And so this is the passage, and the reason you have the note cards so I know you could go on your phone and you could download the app and you could like, or not like download version and take a screenshot and have it on your phone and you should do that. Redeem technology, absolutely, amen. But I'm old school. I like a note card, I like a pen, I like handwritten stuff. And so for those of you who maybe wanna engage a different learning style, I think put it, make, it a, make it the backdrop on your phone, that's awesome, or on your desktop computer. But maybe take this note card Write down this verse this week. It'll help you memorize it. Just writing it down helps. And then maybe like tape it to your steering wheel or like probably don't do your windshield. That feels dangerous. But, but somewhere that you're at often that you can see this and just dwell on it. So take that note card. Write down the verse and let's, let's as a church start to follow Jesus together. Memorize these verses together, which tell us, and we'll get to these in a few weeks. Uh, Peter says, therefore, we'll unpack that later, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Anybody else noticing, like, we see man's responsibility, we see future hope, we see grace, which is God's responsibility. Again, this is gonna be all over this as we walk through. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. 
since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I want this to be kind of the verse. Let's just leave these these verses up here as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. I want communion today to be a time of preparing our minds for action. I want this to be a time where we allow ourselves to hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus, our future hope because of what he has done in our place for our sins. I want this to be a time of confession where we say we're not gonna be conformed to the passion of our former ignorance anymore, but we're gonna strive to walk as obedient children. We're gonna be holy because Jesus, that's what you've called us to be. And so let's just take a few moments and dwell on these verses as we prepare to come to the table and worship and remember Jesus's broken body and his shed blood. And, and just kind of practically, we shifted some things last week where we, we kind of are taking a break from the little, the little communion cups and the styrofoam wafers. Um, and so here's how we're gonna take communion this morning. I'm gonna ask you to take a minute or two if you wanna rally as a family or a couple or with people seated around you and just, just pray, I encourage you to do that. If you just wanna go like self-reflective and worship fully in your own spirit, please do that. Prepare your heart for communion. And then when you come up to the table, you'll take the cracker and you're gonna dip it in the juice. We've, we've got little wine glasses up here that you can dip in the juice. Uh, not to like break the moment, don't, don't, dip your fingers in the juice. That's gross. Um, they should be big enough pieces. You'll be good. You got this. And if this is uncomfortable for you, we have little, little, uh, uh, like I call them communion to go cups up here that you can grab one of those. If this is like super icky for you, don't let that stop you from coming to the table. We've got you. But let's worship at the table, partake of communion at the table. And then when you come back, I'm going to ask you not to sit down, but to stay standing as we sing and respond to the one who is holy and called us to be holy. And so I'm gonna pray, take a few minutes. When you're ready, you can come to the table. We'll stand and we'll sing. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we get to take this time and prepare our minds for action. That you have not saved us to keep us seated on the sidewalk. pray that in this moment we would set our hope fully on you, Jesus. The Savior of our souls. That as we come to the table, we would remember you are a God who allowed himself to be broken and to be murdered for us so that we could then live holy lives in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you've called us. I thank you that you've saved us. Father, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who does not have a relationship with you, who is still standing far off, would you, by the power of your spirit in this moment, would they hear you say their name and call them into a relationship by the power of your spirit? Because of the beauty of the cross, because of the wonder of the empty tomb and the wisdom.
will of the Father? Would you save as only you can? And then would they respond in obedience? Jesus, would this time be glorifying to you and good for our souls? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Take some time. Dwell on this passage. When you're ready, you can come to the table.